Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Sad Times. I tell you what, my voice is doing wonderful things these days. It's got a nice, beautiful tone to it. My name is Kevin. My full name, my first and middle name are Kevin and John. That will become very uh, apparent. No, goddamn. That will become, uh, you'll see why that is important. Jesus Christ. Uh, This is Sad Times. My name is Kevin John. I am your host. For those of you who have never listened to Sad Times before, here's a quick little primer. Each week, we have a kind and generous guest who comes on to tell stories from their lives about times that were difficult, that they didn't know how to navigate through, uh, painful, times that are angry, sad, times that they experienced a trauma that they weren't expecting. Uh, We have, at Sad Times, have guests who come on to tell these stories because these are stories that are truly universal, things that all of us go through and maybe we don't often talk about. We believe that speaking about these things uh, will help people feel less alone because we all go through these sad and difficult times. So that's Sad Times. We do have a website. It is on the World Wide Web. It is www.sadtimespodcast.com. Check it out. You get all your episodes there. There's uh, a place where you can register to be a guest. We can let you know how it works. And uh, it will take you to all of the podcast platforms where we are, which is pretty much all of them. Please, if you have not, please subscribe. And if you do enjoy the show, please leave a lovely review for us. We would really appreciate it. And finally, please tell a friend or an enemy or an acquaintance, uh, because the the goal of this show is to help people feel less alone. And if there are stories here that you hear that you think a friend uh, would benefit from, please, please pass it along. All right. So that is, excuse me, sad times. Let's get to our sponsor before we Welcome in our guest. Uh, today's sponsor is my omnivorous and all-consuming book buying problem. While on the way to the studio, I stopped at a Walgreens looking for whipped cream and peanut butter and a Red Bull, healthy as always, and walked out with not only those groceries, but a 15th anniversary of a Stephen King novel I read half of when it came out 15 years ago. That's my omnivorous and all-consuming book buying problem. I will be found dead at the bottom of a pile of words. Wow. All right. And it is a problem. I mean, I just sold 13 boxes of books and it's like I'm on a race to get those books back in another form. Uh, Thank you. As always, please support our sponsors using the code F-A-K-E. That's F-A-K-E at checkout. All right. We have paid the bills. It's time to move on to our guest. And this is a very special guest today. He is not only a guest on Sad Times, he is my uncle, my uncle, John, who... I am named after my middle name. Spelled, how's it spelled, John? J-O-N. You're goddamn right. No H. No H. Only only Beetle John gets an H. That's for you, bro. Uh, John, how are you, sir? Well, I'm doing great. If I were a dog, I'd be wagging my tail. Oh, that's good. That's good. I love dogs. Do you have any dogs? We used to. We used to have standard poodles, and uh, unfortunately, we've outlived all of them several times over. And I think I just saw a cat ear. Yeah, this is this is Cinderella, our rescue cat. Aww. She allows me to live here in the house. Oh, that's nice of her. <laughs> yeah. As long as I feed her, I'm okay. Does she uh, give you the business if you don't feed her on time? Oh, man. She's all over my leg with her claws. Oh. So, yeah, she's got, a, she's got an inbuilt timer. Oh, uh, I, I, isn't it amazing? I mean, I guess if I only got fed at a certain time, I would certainly know exactly when that was for sure. Yeah. Um, so John, you are my uncle. You are on my father's side. Your older brother is my father. What is your older brother's name? Dan. Thank you for saying that. Or it's (laughs) Mr. Crispin to everybody else out there. All right. That's Uh, right. Yes. We we call him Big Dan, Diver Dan. Diver Dan. Diver Dan. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever heard that. That's an old, old nickname his cousin Roger gave to him. Okay, and Roger, was that on the Crispin side or on the Meyer side? On the Meyer side. Gotcha. And you, how much younger are you than my dad? Uh, a little over two years, I think. Okay. And you grew up, and what was the name of the town you grew up in? Crispin, Illinois. And that wasn't just like your parents, my grandparents weren't like, we need to live in a town that's like our last name. No, no. no. Where is uh, Crispin? It's uh, it's about, it's 88 miles due west of Indianapolis, 68 miles due east of Decatur on Route 36. 
158 miles south of Chicago off Halstead Street on Route 1 and 13 miles north of Paris. All right. Well, that is the single best answer I've ever been given, uh, especially about the location of something. I now know. I mean, I've, of course, been there, but I couldn't have said any of that shit. I love that you know how far it is from Halstead Street in Chicago. I used to make that trip often when I lived in Chicago. And how long did you live in Chicago? I lived uh, lived there a couple of years, and I was there for two blizzards, the <laughs> one of 1967 and then one of 1978. Wow. Both were, both, both were pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, the, the blizzards in Chicago are no joke. I've been told. What'd you yeah. say? I said, there have been worse now since then, I'm told, but uh, these were the worst up to that point. Yeah. Hey, 1967, you would have been like 13, 14. Yeah, we yeah. went up on a field trip and we're, we're kind of stranded in this big hotel as this uh, blizzard came through and we finally got out of town. So that was ex that was an excitement. Wow, that is, yeah, that would be, that'd be quite the field trip. <laughs> uh, so Chrisman is a small town um, and tell us about where you grew up to, uh, because it's one of my favorite things to relate to people when I'm talking about, you know, my dad and my dad's family is where you guys grew up. And, but tell us a little bit about your early life and, and growing up in Christman. Okay. Well, uh, until 1956, we lived in a, in a home in town where my father had built and, uh, that was, that was nice, but he had an opportunity to buy this big old farmhouse from the surviving daughters. And it was three miles outside of town. And dad had done a lot of work on it because, you know, old houses need a lot of work. And he was enamored by it, had a growing family, five children, and decided this would be the perfect place for him to be, uh, raise his family, uh, continue to have his contracting business and, and possibly be a gentrified farmer. He oh. even bought some livestock at one time. Oh, really? What kind of livestock? They were just cattle and we had chickens. Uh, but he loved horses, and so he had a pair of Palominos that he really enjoyed riding, and uh, he and Karen would ride those, my oldest sister. Mm -hmm. And uh, each of us were given a, a horse when we were old enough, and uh, we all had our pratfalls with the horses, uh, but it was fun learning to ride. I bet it was. You know, I've never ridden a horse. Well, they've been calling for you, Kevin. They have. I uh, I just keep sending them right to voicemail, though. Yeah. So, you, growing up on a farm, so you would have been about, what, three or so when you guys moved yeah. there? So, that's yeah. really the only home, maybe, that you really remember? Yeah. They, I ha have scant memories of, uh, the, of the first home. Uh, we, we visited it from time to time because we knew that the folks that bought it and moved in. So, that was, uh, that was you know, that was fine. But, you know, growing up out on the farm, it was three miles outside of towns. And so it wasn't part of the town culture, town environment. It was something completely different. And so we sort of grew up outside of what we considered to be, you know, what the town kids experienced. They were a, a mysterious type of being uh, that we uh, were, were all that used to and didn't feel all that comfortable when we were alone around them. But you said, you know, you're the fourth of five kids and if you're out there three miles outside of town, you guys probably spent, I mean, obviously a ton of time together, but you guys, did you, how did that go? How was the dynamic with, with the five of you guys? Well, we, we all had our, uh, had our ups and down moments. You know, if we, uh, if we were going to be wrong, we were going to be wrong at the top of our voice because you know, <laughs> who, who could hear us, who would care? Yeah. Uh, and good uh, point. It was a big house, so whenever we wanted to talk to somebody, if they weren't in front of us, we would yell until we'd find them. And that was another sort of unique dynamic about growing up. So we had plenty of opportunity to sort of blow off the steam that might 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 get built up. Uh, also, two older sisters who kept us younger brothers in line, not letting us, you know, hit on them or, uh, you know, strike them or do anything harmful because they were bigger than we were, we were, and they'd give it back to us. Mm -hmm. you know, worse so we, we were mindful of that for sure and and so you mentioned your dad uh i look anytime anybody says oh he built that house i'm just kind of in awe of that and i know that your dad did a ton, my grandfather again uh did a ton of that type of work tell us a little bit about the work that he did and tell us a little bit about um your mom my grandma okay 
Well, they were, first of all, they were pretty, pretty remarkable pair. And uh, they had met where dad had been divorced for a little while. And a friend of his who was going to the University of Illinois uh, had, had known my mother and her sisters. And uh, he lived in a small town of Hume, which is right outside of, of uh, Chrisman. And uh, he was sort of in the, the doldrums about his divorce and, and what he was going to do next. And so uh, my friend introduced him to mom. They got along very well from the start. And the major hum stumbling block was what to tell her parents that here he was a divorced man and interested in marrying her. Why these these God-fearing Christians were, <laughs> were not going to have any of that, she thought. But my father knew how to play cribbage and other card games that Grandpa loved. And so uh, that's pretty much melted that barrier pretty quickly. Yeah. And uh, he, he uh, became part of the family, and the rest is history. And uh, so they were married, and then, as you said, Karen is uh, the oldest, and... Mm -hmm. How, what's the di what's the age difference between Karen the oldest and Bill the youngest? Oh boy, uh, about eight or nine years, maybe. Okay, and so and my dad, uh, yeah, about yeah, almost yeah, nine years. Nine years, okay. And so let's see, Bill was was Bill born right around when you guys moved into the big farmhouse? He was born a year after. Year after, okay. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, interesting story about that. He was uh, uh, he came along at a time when uh, mom was had some very serious medical difficulties. Uh, here she was carrying Bill and getting ready to have him uh, deliver him in the hospital, and she had ulcers. And, and though and her and her uh, her, bro her brother had had ulcers, and basically the only way to treat ulcers in those days is to remove uh, as much of your stomach as was necessary to get rid of the ulcerated patch. So she had three quarters of her stomach removed simply because if she didn't, you know, they were, people were at risk of bleeding to death in those days. So that, now we have drugs to deal with this, but in those days they didn't. So she was all blue and, and she, you know, here she had these four kids, a fifth on the way. Dad was going through some financial difficulties because the economy was taking a downturn in the construction business. And so it was sort of a gloomy time and mom could really get gloomy. And so, but dad always seemed to know how to say the right things. And, he was visiting her and he noticed that, that that she was feeling sort of a little bit low. And he said, what's wrong, Kay? And she began to list the things that were and not going well. And she wasn't able to be on her feet to help him and so forth. And and dad just looked at her and, and heard her out and, 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 and nodded his head and finally said, you know, Kay, I think that each one of our children is worth a million dollars. And I think having this next one is going to put us into being a multimillionaire, thanks to you. Well, Ooh. Of course, that that sort of melted away all of her angst and and concerns, and and uh, she had Bill and uh, raised him up, and he became a successful lawyer. So, uh, I guess I guess his little pep talk had did some good. That is a what a wonderful thing to say. So, was he always somebody who knew the right thing to say? I think I think so. He was very he was a very taciturn man and didn't didn't waste his words. But when he had something to say, it was pretty usually pretty meaningful, or You'd better listen. It was one of those. One of those <laughs> right. Exactly. So you said uh, the, there was an economic downturn uh, in the construction business. So he was working construction. You guys, were you also working the farm at this time as well? Well, the farm was sort of, again, it was it was more of an expense. And the animals on it were to sort of, you know, eat grass to keep trees from growing, that sort of thing. And uh, so it was, it was more of a, a sustainable venture rather than an economic one. The, the money was still made by building homes and schools. Gotcha. Okay. So there's five of you. Tell us about when was it, what year was it? Uh, I'm going to do a little spoiler here that you guys decided to open the restaurant in the home. Uh, it was around 63, 63. And we finally opened in 64, I believe. Okay. We weren't, we weren't open very long before dad had, had died. Yeah, so that let's um, when you and I were talking before, I believe it was last week. Um, you were talking about, I think you said you were about eleven years old, maybe, and you know farmland. So there's tons of acreage, and you're just mowing and mowing and mowing, and then you're going to mow some more. And you told me about a time, a premonition you had while you were mowing. Can you talk to me about that, please? Yeah, um, we were 
there is some concern about about dad's health, uh, even when his younger brother had a heart attack and, and died. In those days, there wasn't much one could do. If you had a heart attack, you either survived it or you didn't. Then there wasn't much intervention that could be done. So we were we were concerned, given dad's family health history, ab- about him. But you know, he was still charging hard at it every day. Uh, but uh, that started to niggle at me, and I started to be thinking about, well, gee, if something happened to dad, w- what would you do? W- what would life be like? And so out there pushing that mower over that uh, big yard. Uh, got me thinking about those kinds of thoughts. And uh, I tried to push him out at first because I didn't want to think about something like that. Heck, I'm just a kid. Uh, who, who deserves to think about that? Right. The, the long story short, uh, it eventually started to take hold. It did happen. And I was probably a little better prepared uh, than I would have been. But, uh, you know, how can one be prepared? I I don't I honestly I have no clue how one could be prepared for that and you're you're talking that he passed away and you would have been 10, 11 yeah and it was suddenly it, I mean it wasn't like you, you know here's he's in bed and and he's he's they took a turn for the worse he literally uh, was standing and then he was dead he was he and my older sister Sally's room is next door to the bedroom and she she heard him fall she heard that and so she came in to see what was going on and then came and got my other sister who was across the hall and uh they were all there and mom was hysterical and uh uh and and they were trying to administer uh, cpr on him but sally said he was he was already gone so they were on the phone to try to get the right people there to help with the family support as well as uh you know to get to get the body removed and all this time, Dan and I were fast asleep. We had no idea that any of this was going on. And then mom came around the next morning and told us both. And that, of course, was a was a, a macabre experience for her. And uh, it was very difficult. I finally said, well, so I guess it has finally happened. That's what I said to myself. And and uh, poor Dan was caught completely by surprise and it hit him sideways. So it was it was not a pleasant, pleasant morning for him. Oh, I can't. Or any of us. Yeah. I cannot even imagine. I think that you said, um, I mean, I really cannot imagine. I think that when you were describing it, you described it as something ripped out of the fabric of, of life to, to lose. Yeah, it happened like so that. suddenly. Yeah. yeah. It happened so suddenly that things were going along one way. Uh, we were all striving, struggling, you know, moving along life's merry way. And then all of a sudden, this 90 degree turn uh, takes place that basically changes the trajectory of our whole lives forever. How, as an 11 year old, this is a strange question to ask. How do you grieve? How do you grieve that? Um, You guys were, uh, by all accounts, a very close, close knit family. You guys were all out there on that farm together. How do you grieve something like that when you know that, okay, this has happened and now we still have to go forward. Um, uh, we mentioned the restaurant. I think maybe you were in plans of opening the restaurant at this time, or it had opened. Short- uh, it, it'd been open. We'd been open almost a year. Not okay. Quite. Um, so how did, how did you grieve? Uh, was well, it- for, first of all, we were very, very busy. Uh, we were busy with school, busy with the extracurricular activities, busy with working in the restaurant, keeping it a going concern because it was not assured that, we would all stay together in that house doing the same thing, continuing on. That was not, that was not a given. So there was a lot of uncertainty uh, and just a lot to keep one distracted uh, about the the grief at hand. But, you know, grief, grief is persistent. It has its way of, of uh, getting its due one way or another, either immediately or over time. And that's essentially what it did for me is uh, I was able to put it off for a while because things were busy, things things were happening. But eventually, you know, it got hold of me, and uh, and I had my uh, spells of crying and and uh, and and so forth, and finally got that out of my system. And now it's it's a matter of of remembering and and uh, making sure that I don't forget uh, all the great times, however brief they were, that uh, we had together as a family. Yeah, and you have done a wonderful job, and we're going to get to this a little bit, but. Um, 
you preserved a lot uh, of of the the uh, you took a lot of video because you became a filmmaker. You took obviously you preserved a lot of photos. Um, it's very clear and obvious. I never met my grandfather because you know my dad was thirteen when he passed away. So that's all that's all we the grandchildren have had as well. Um, I of course met grandma, but so and, and grandma she was always uh, your mom. My grandma was always. Just she always struck me as somebody, uh, a very strong person, very um, determined person. I guess I should say. It, would you say that's a a, a fair assessment? Yeah, I think uh, I think she was. She first of all, she it, it, handling handling five kids across nine years is like handling a team of wild horses. Each has their own unique set of circumstances based on whatever age they're they're going through, and uh, and for them it's always an always a brand new event. So, so she gets to go through all events, significant life events five times. And yet, uh, she didn't, didn't uh, shrink from that opportunity to, uh, constantly try to steer us in the right direction. She was uh, persistent about making sure that we did the right thing, understood why we were doing the right thing and knew the right things to do. Uh, one of those was going to college. There was just never, uh, never a doubt that we would not go to college whether or not we had any money to pay for it didn't matter we were going to go and uh she set aside our my father's va payments uh in a separate accounts for us uh, that she could that were supposedly for her benefit to use in her raising of us with the daily expenses but no she put them away put that away so we'd have a little something for college to get started with that's how she backed up what she wanted us to do. She backed it up with action. And that's the, typically the way it was throughout her life. Mm. She came from a strong family of strong men and women and uh, accomplished men and women. And uh, she was no different. And how did, you know, we talked about your dad being in construction, uh, doing some other things. How did the restaurant come about? Well, the, uh, there had been, dad had had some health scares. He'd even been in the hospital a time or two in the late 50s. And uh, so mom was thinking of, and this is the way they put it to us, if something should happen to your father, uh, what would we do? And so your father and I came up with this idea that we would run a restaurant because my degree is in dietetics and I've, I've run professional restaurant operations before. So this would be a good, a good deal. Well, you know, when they wrote, when they rolled that out to us, it seemed very logical, but I was totally against it because I thought, who, who's going to come into our home? Uh, you know, that's not going to happen. Right. And we had, what they were really saying is, look, we've got a big house here. We have excess capacity. This is how we make it work. This is how we stay at home. Uh, and, and this is how we live. Well, you know, Dumbo wasn't seeing that yet. So, uh, <laughs> Dumbo I, being, I, uh, just for those, <laughs> Dumbo was John referring to himself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, all I saw was a home invasion, but, but eventually we got into the spirit of things, uh, Dad would bring home tables and chairs that he he found, and we would paint them and get them all ready for the uh, restaurant and all kinds of preparation work we did together as a family. So, uh, by the time it was opening day, we were all pretty pretty ready, and uh, that concern about us having a restaurant uh, was no, was no longer concerned. It, it was we were full on. We were doing it. I think that's the wonderful thing that I think about is, is painting all of you guys painting those tables and chairs and just kind of doing this all together. That just, I don't know. That hits me really. Well, well really, some of the paint actually got on the tables and chairs. That was the remarkable part. <laughs> <clears throat> what was the name of the restaurant? It was called Hardy Hall dining room. And it was named Hardy Hall after its original owner and builder, Howard Holt. And, uh, oh. Howard had, uh, had a had a huge dining room in the in the house, and it had a huge table that would seat twenty six. Wow. And on one wall was the China built in China uh, bureau, and it had in leaded glass old English letters H H on two of the doors. And uh, somebody asked uh, asked, "Well, what does that mean?" And uh, you know, Mom didn't have a snappy answer until one of Dad's workmen uh, provided it for it. He says, "Well." Just call it Hardy Hall, and she said, "Why is that?" She says, "Well, look at all these damn kids around here. They're 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 all hardy as hell, and uh, upstairs is the biggest damn hall I've ever seen. So just call it Hardy Hall." 
And and it was. It was a big hall with uh, off which five bedrooms and two bathrooms were. So it was a, another whole living area uh, upstairs. So the name stuck, and that's what we call it, Hardy Hall Dining Room. Okay. And to follow on what you've been saying, you got five kids there. You guys are all – everybody worked at the restaurant, right? That's right. Tell me about and that. We all, we all did to – what our what our level of competence was uh, based on competency experience and age i was young so there wasn't much i could do except start off making drinks uh, iced tea coffee uh and you know salads and and stuff that would support the uh, effort but i wasn't a main a main uh, part of the effort until i became old enough to become a busboy and then ultimately a waiter and then ultimately running the dining room and then ultimately mom say, Hey, if you want this restaurant, I'll give it to you. And I said, No, no, thanks. no, thanks. A, and what did, a, um, uh, what did the other kids do? Well, uh, Karen was the same way. She ran, she was, she liked facing the public and getting in, in you know, mm -hmm. interacting with them. Sally and Dan, they did not, they would prefer to stay out of the way. Dan, uh, your father was killer on, on grabbing hold of all the pots and pans and just cleaning the heck out of them yep. and he, clearing the countertop of any dishes so that more dishes could be put there. He also, uh, was very developed a, a tremendous skill of cutting up whole chickens. Uh, he would go through a, a box of 25 chickens in, in no time to get them ready for Saturday night and Sunday morning. Uh, Sally was a tremendous cook. She had mother's gift for cooking. And so she really liked doing that. And, uh, we would, she would fill all the orders and do a lot of the cooking. She and mom would do a lot of the cooking. Mom also would hire a cook uh, because the girls had to go to college and so forth. So it was a, it was a sort of like a road running through the restaurant of various people traveling along their way, helping out and, uh, enjoying the experience along the way. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention a few things here. Uh, your mother's fried chicken recipe, uh, which was passed down, of course, to you guys. My dad always made it growing up, and now my sister makes it um, all the time. She says hello, by the way. Oh, uh, good. Well, yeah. hello. Unlike you, she's not a doctor. So uh, <laughs> uh, just the, uh, every time dad would make that when we were kids, I was just like, oh, man. And with that gravy and those biscuits, oh, the best. And then Sally, I think, must have got this from your mom, the, the cinnamon rolls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just the best cinnamon rolls you'll ever eat. And I, I'm not somebody who gets too excited about food, but those are two things that I always got very excited and, and look forward to. It just your mom, my grandma, had such a talent for cooking, and it passed on, I know for a fact, to Sally and my dad. And uh, I didn't know that about the chickens, but I've seen uh, I've seen the man handle a chicken or two, and he he doesn't mess around. No, he doesn't, and he he did it without one of those steel gloves. So he was uh, he was he was riding without a net there. Um, <laughs> your aunt Sally actually did a, did a video of how to cut up the chickens the way we used to cut them up at Hardy Hall. And so it's out there on the world famous Christmas family website. If you want to see it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I would like to see that because I haven't and other things that are there too. I, I, th I want to get across Hardy hall that, that home you lived in was huge. It was huge. I've only been there. I think maybe twice. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's very large. So when people say what they had a restaurant in their home, it was a very big home that, that could accommodate a small restaurant. Yeah, we could seat a hundred at a given at any given. Okay, time. a big restaurant. <laughs> big risk. Yeah, um, Hardy Hall was a big brick farm home built in 1908, and it had 32 rooms in it, three stories. Eleven rooms alone were in the basement, and it had a ballroom on top, mm -hmm. and uh, it had these huge porches, uh, t two stories of porches that would jut out from the north and the east and the west, and uh, and another big porch that jut jutted out all towards the north or the West rather. And it was just a, a, a grand, a grand place. And we as children would have our parties out there with, you know, during high school and, and grade school. And it was just a great place where kids could go. Mm. And again, it was a restaurant. So we had most of the townsfolk had eaten out there a time or two, one time or another. So it was a, it was a great gathering place. It was ideal for all the things we used it for. And it provided, um, it provided a, 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 a means of entertainment, and in, and uh, fellowship and engagement during a time just before everything went to hell. 
<laughs> in the world before social media came in and and dis dispersed everyone you know this is always it was always well where, where are you going what are you going to do and and so forth that was always the question and people wanted to people did not want to miss out they wanted to be where others were going and hardy hall was typically a place where many many went and had fun P of a place where people gather, right? That's and, right. and that's a, a wonderful thing. So y you guys, so you, you worked your way up in the restaurant at that time, as you're getting older, uh, going into your teens, getting ready, as you said, to go off to college. Um, did you find yourself uh, th talking to your siblings at all about the loss of your dad? Or was that not something you guys could really even really comprehend to talk about? Well, we, it, we we would talk about it whenever the the mood struck us, um, and we would and even even now we still talk about it. We talk about maybe uh, how our lives might have been different if he if he had if he had lived a few more years and and what he would have thought of uh, of his grandchildren, you know, like like you, and and Kelly and others. You know what would have been his opinion, and uh, how would he have been that positive force to shape, help shape your life, uh, along with others in the family who shaped your lives and so forth. Those are the kinds of things that we would, that we would talk about. And it's, it's nice to imagine, but they're, again, they're harmless. Uh, and, and they're not bitter. We're not, we're not bitter because he left us too soon. It's just life. Yeah. That, that's what happens. Yeah. So, um, but talking about it is coping. And, and I guess we, since we have talked about it at length over the years, that must be our way of coping without saying we're coping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, of course. And, and and as you say, you know, shared memories. You guys are thinking back on all those good times that you had with dad. I love the thinking of the image of, of grandpa and, and Karen riding out on the horses. Um, uh, that just, um, I don't know, warms my heart, I guess you could say. And you, did you ever dream about your dad? Oh, yeah. Uh, a lot, particularly after he died. Um uh, he would he would show up and uh he sometimes he'd bring suitcases and he'd put them down and i would say things like well so you're coming back for good this time you're, you're going to stay this time and you know being the taciturn fellow that he was he never really would say one way or another and soon that that question would be forgotten and i would be engaged in being together with him and then all of a sudden he was gone mm -hmm. and that happened each time so uh that's what would, would prompt that it's interesting i mean the the brain it's it's the brain is pro i'm no expert of course but the brain is like processing through that loss and that's that's one of the way that it does that i i i find it very fascinating um so as, as you were so now it's just your mom the five of you and then uh your two older sisters are going off to school uh then uh diver dan uh and then uh it's your turn so what was your thinking when you were going to college? What did you want to do? Well, I wanted to be a filmmaker. And, uh, you know, I wanted to, to go to a, a university that, that uh, had a cinema, prod, cinema program. SIU at Carbondale was one of those. I'd originally considered UCLA and USC, uh, but, you know, they were so far away and nobody really understood where I was coming from uh, to basically say, hey, go for it. Uh, we, 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 we get you and so forth. So I thought, well, I'll go to a state school. Thank goodness it has a program, and that's where I'll learn the the art and craft of making motion pictures. A great film program. It's it's always, or I don't know about always, but it's often been known for its film program. Yeah. Um, what was your mom's reaction when you told her that you were going to study film? She said, "I don't care what you do as long as you go and graduate from college." Okay. So she was behind you. Just get that diploma. Oh yeah, she she was like, uh, you know, you can do anything you want. If that's what you want to do. You know, that's fine. Just make sure you get a, an a degree. And I said, okay. And so you go down there, you get your degree. Uh, you are a proud Saluki. Hell yeah. And what? Where did that take you then? Well, I I uh, did did a number of, of things at Southern. One of the one of the things. Uh, I was I was one of those AV guys who drove around in those Cushman scooters all over campus delivering screens and projectors. I guess they don't do that anymore, but but in those days those things had to be delivered. So I was I was one of those guys that was doing that. In addition, I was also one of the guys that was filming the football uh, football games for the oh. coaches. And uh, again, that was a way for me to improve my chops with cameras and and uh, just a whole way of using film and so forth. So that was a that was a lot of fun, and it and it prepared me for uh, life after college, which was uh, trying to get into the film business. And I 
was hired on to a uh, uh, motion picture that was shooting out in Stanton, Virginia, uh, a horror film. Since it's this time around uh, Halloween, people should watch it. It's it'll scare them. Uh, <laughs> it's called the it's called the Redeemer, Son of Satan. Whoa, so, that's is that right. about me? That's no, 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 no. Wait, sorry, my dad's not Satan. Yes, Kevin, the Redeemer, Son of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brent is writing the title down right now. And I think you can get it on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a VHS, but uh, it was made at the old Stanton Military Academy before it was sold uh, to the to the uh, girls' school next door. So it was quite a quite a gothic movie set, and a lot of a lot of killing. I was the chief of set construction on it. Oh, but they also needed a bit part player, um, and I was uh, uh, I was the disc jockey at the sleazy singles bar and <laughs> my name was ron devu so that was ron devu that's right so th there's a there's there's one of my star credits right there you better believe i'm going to be watching this movie uh and how old were you at this time oh i was in my 20s okay I just got out, just gotten out of uh, college and then you um let's go back to uh, i want to talk more about the relationship uh with you and your mom you told me a, a scary but funny story about how you were in the crib uh, as a little baby. Um, tell us about kind of how you'd be put, uh, I'm assuming you'd be put to bed or put down for a nap or what have you. Uh, and then, you know, mom goes and does what she needs to do. Tell us about what would happen. Yeah, nap time's a happy time, not just for baby, but for moms too, because moms get to get, get, get rid of baby for a while. At least so my mother thought. And she was would put me away in the crib, and uh, one time she got a telephone call from a neighbor who lived a few blocks away, and he said, uh, "Do you know where your where your son is?" And she said, "Sure, he's in in the bedroom sleeping." He said, "Well, you'd better guess again because I have somebody standing in front of me. It looks a lot like him." <laughs> and she went, she went in, and and she was horrified to see that I had escaped and had wandered off down the street. And so she she came back and she got me put me back in bed. Uh, so from then she was never quite sure where I was. Uh, another time was uh, somebody called her and said, "You know where your son is?" And she says, "Yeah, he's sleeping." And he says, "Well, no, he's not. He's on your roof." Stop. On the roof. On the roof. So I climbed the uh, television antenna tower and wandered off across the roof. And uh, mom did not come up to get me, but she talked me calmly down so that she i would come to her and the neighbor next door said i thought your mother would would i was so proud of her for being so brave and not passing out with you up there wandering on the roof trying her trying to get you down and so that was just another were another you something. were you scared up there do you recall not that i recall no. yeah I, you're just like hey, i was man. always i was always hanging out anyway in trees i climbed a lot of trees and at our home at hardy hall i was the only one that would climb on the roof up there uh, because of, because it was so tall. And uh, that also meant I painted it as well. So <laughs> that, that was, that was sort of my designated job. Anything up high, you know, John gets to do it. Yeah. Oh, well, you and I do not share that trade. I hate heights. Uh, did you, what did your mom say when you got off that roof, when she got you to climb down? Do you remember? Just don't ever do that again, and you know you'll scare me to death. What what made you do that? You know, all all the mother kinds of questions that have no answers. <laughs> just, yeah, you scared the hell out of me. Don't do that again. And uh, to my knowledge, I don't know that I did. I did, but you know, being being number four, mom had gone through everything with the other with the other three, and sometimes she would just look at me. She'd be so tired. She'd look at me and sort of say, "Well, you're just going through a phase," mm. and. And, uh, and I would think, well, that's, that would make me frustrated because no, I'm not, this is, this is unique to me. This is brand new. This is not a phase. And the reality it was, <laughs> it was just another part of life I was experiencing and, and it was manifesting its, itself in some poor behavior I was exhibiting. And she would just be very patient and just shake her head and say, you this too shall pass. Mm. The, I, that, um, uh, I talk a lot on the show. I, I don't have any kids. Um, the, uh, I just admire the hell out of, I mean, admire 
anyone who who, who raises a child, it, 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 there's got to be nothing harder than that that I can think of. And to raise five and then uh, with a partner and then lose that partner uh, and, and keep everybody on the right track, um, off the roof, as it were, all that stuff is is just incredible to me. Um, and you talk about how tired she must have been. I, I cannot imagine the exhaustion she had, especially if she's running a restaurant. I mean, think about running sure. a restaurant and not having to chase kids around. Well, she was she was up every morning making pies at, at uh, 630. And uh, and that that also meant she was up early enough to make us breakfast to go to school and get a, get our sorry butts out of bed uh, and, and so forth. So she was she was very, very strong, very, you know, very duty bound. Um, and this was all in in the midst of a lot of financial uncertainty. There was no guarantee that we would be open uh, one one year to the next. And uh, so we had certain key days that that uh, knew we'd make or break our year, such as Thanksgiving. Mother's Day was the biggest, Christmas, mm -hmm. Easter. So if we made those days, we were going to be okay. If we didn't, well, there was uh, storm clouds on the horizon. And did she... Um... Did you guys, as kids, always feel like yes, there is that that risk, and and uh, that that may or may not be the case, but you always felt confident that your mom would would see you guys through it. Oh yeah, yeah. There there was no no question. We uh, we knew that as long as we put in the work, uh, the results would would be yielded. Would be that uh, things would be fine. And gotcha. We we sure did put in a lot of work. Uh, there was just never seemed to be a waking. A waking moment when we weren't engaged in something. Well, speaking of that, there are such wonderful videos from around. I think when you were about in high school, maybe maybe early college. Uh, would it be a sixteen millimeter camera that you had uh, there on the farm? And um, how did your how did your mom and and the rest of the family feel about being filmed when you would film them? Um, mom was a natural, and mm -hmm. she she didn't seem to mind it very much. Uh, Sally and Karen, you know, they, Karen, Karen, not Sally, they, she'd run hot and cold, but for the most part, they were sort of used to John wandering around with his camera and, uh, it didn't seem to bother them too much. And years later now they've enjoyed seeing what they used to look like. So I love watching those uh, just to see my dad, you know, uh, with hair with dark hair um, coming up with those it's very similar glasses to what I'm wearing right now. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really touching thing to see. So you're 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 kind of passionate about things. You're passionate about film. Um, you're kind of going to do what you're going to do. Um, and you also developed a love, I believe, for motorcycles. Correct? Yeah, yeah. We uh, I got to ride motorcycles early in life. I was about I don't know twelve, thirteen, and we also uh, and that was a lot of fun. We also some of the neighbors would have them. We would go out bailing hay, uh, and uh, all of us would just get green as Martians. And if we ended up ending a job in the middle of the day, we wouldn't go straight home. We would go down to some creek bed somewhere, and we'd strip off and basically go swimming and get rid of all this green green hay and everything all over us. And then we'd wet down the the the, the bank and make a slide and slide in the mud and have a, have a tremendous time. And then when we wanted to get out and dry off and get ready to go home, we'd all each take a turn riding a motorcycle up and down the road with no clothes on and we would be air dried. Wow. And so that was, that was a uh, beginning of the love of motorcycles. Did your mom know you were riding a motorcycle had, that you had guys no were... idea? Yeah. Had that's no probably idea. for the best. <laughs> uh, nothing would have surprised her, but she didn't, she didn't know it. And a lot of times she chose not to know. So mm -hmm. that, that, that was fine too. So that started. And then, uh, uh, I would, would ride motorcycles whenever I could I'd borrow, borrowing them, ride friends. And then ultimately, ultimately I bought one and, uh, uh, didn't tell mom about it and, uh, rode it until I got hit by a car. And then she had to know about it by that time. Cause I called her from the hospital. Well, wait a minute. Okay. One, obviously you're okay. Thank goodness. How, how did that occur? How did the accident occur? Well, I found out later it's the most common of motorcycle accidents where you're, you're coming to an intersection and the car facing you does not yield the right of way, but turns in front of you because they just didn't see you. 
And I was swore this driver saw me because I was looking straight at him and I thought he at me, but he was giving me that thousand mile stare beyond mm -hmm. and turned right in front of me. I hit his car, flew over it, landed in the street and uh, was sort of disoriented for a, a minute or two. And the ambulance came and it was right in front of the old student union at Parkland, downtown Champaign. Hell yeah. So, uh, so everyone, everyone got a, got a nice show. And, and they, they came and they took me to the hospital and they said, you know, you better stay here for a while. I said, why? I feel, I feel fine. They said, well, you won't feel fine tomorrow. And they were right. I stayed two days. So it was, it was pretty. Did painful. you break anything? Not a, not a thing. That's good. Just, just, uh, just a, it, it wasn't the, it wasn't the fly through the air. It was the sudden stop that did it. <laughs> uh, that's yes, the <laughs> what, so when you called your mom, she didn't know you had a motorcycle. Tell me about that conversation. Well, in in the beginning, mom had always said, no son of mine who lives under my roof is going to have a motorcycle. I said, okay, got that. So the minute I, I went to college, I bought a motorcycle. So I thought, well, you know. So I was telling the doctors, the doctors said, you know, you got you got I was a minor, so you have parents. So we, we need to we need to contact them. And I said, Oh, we can't do that. She doesn't know I own a motorcycle. Well, this just cracked them up. <laughs> they thought that was the funniest thing. What do you mean she doesn't know? And I, I told them the story and they said, oh, this is too much. So they said, well, you got to call her. And I said, well, no, I don't want to. He said, well, would you rather have us call her? And I said, oh, okay, okay, give me the phone. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. So it was uh, between the lunch and, and evening meal and mom was just sitting down having lunch. And, and when I called her and she said, uh, I said, how you doing? Fine. And uh, just finished and we're sitting down here. And uh, she was about 60 miles away. So uh uh, she was a distance and and I said oh by the way I've I've got hit by a car uh I've been in an accident and I'm in the hospital <laughs> what what <laughs> and I she's are you okay I said, yeah yeah fine. no problem well I'll be right there I said, no you don't have to mom it's such a long way oh no 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 I'll be right so she gets there and she walks in the room and she looks at me with that look <laughs> and she <laughs> says and she says John do you own a motorcycle? And I started laughing. I said, so they told you, I guess. I said, well, I used to, but not anymore. <laughs> and what was, what did she say? Now, did she, um, what did she say to that? Cause that is a pretty good response. Well, she said, I, I said, well, you told me you no son of mine would own a motorcycle. So I thought, well, why, why bother telling you? <laughs> well, yeah. She, all she could do is shake her head. Yeah. So, uh, this is before you were in Southern Illinois then is when you were at Parkland. Yeah, that's right. Um, so after college, then you went to Stanton, you worked on the Redeemer, uh, son of Satan. And, uh, then what, where did, did you head out? When did you head out to Los Angeles? Well, first of all, I, I got a job working for the university of Wisconsin extension photographic media center making educational industrial films for the state of Wisconsin and the university. <laughs> so and we were, one, is that how we got the, the, the short film? Uh, it's only rock right. and roll. That's right. One of, one of my guarantees was a sample reel. And that was, and that was the sample reel. And, uh, so that, that, that put me, we were, we were in film all the time four four or five film projects at a time. So it was, it was wonderful. And then I moved from there after a couple of years to Chicago to shoot uh, uh, commercials at, for a, a, a Ken Ansel in the shooting gallery. And then from there, I s experienced the blizzard of 78 and said, you know, I got to get out of here. So <laughs> I hopped on my motorcycle and rode it, my new motorcycle and rode it to um, California. Oh, how now uh, tell me about that trip. Was that I don't, I'm not one for motorcycles, but, uh, I've been on them. Was that just a wonderful, how, how, how was that trip? How long did it take you? Well, it took me six weeks, uh, cause I wasn't in any hurry. And, uh, I had driven across the U S a couple of times in a car, uh, back in high school. And I thought, wow, this would make a tremendous motorcycle trip. So ever since the time I was 16, I was always fantasized about that. When I found when I got the opportunity, I jumped at it. Shipped all of my goods out there, my belongings by Amtrak freight, <laughs> and nice. and it rode out there to meet it at Union Station with uh with with my motorcycle and a truck. 
So uh, it it uh, it was it was great. I I wouldn't turn. Would, I don't regret it. So saw a tremendous scenery in Colorado and in the flatlands of Kansas and uh, just California is magnificent. The desert was beautiful. <laughs> Would you just uh, can't do a lot of camping? Not a bit. When you're riding a motorcycle all day. When you're riding a motorcycle all day, uh-huh. uh, the last thing you want is the cold, hard ground of a campground. Fair. I wanted a warm shower and a warm bed, and that's what I got. Yeah. And it, it was vivifying for the next day's ride. Oh, I bet it was. And it was out there that, um, it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it was out in California where you met and got married. Is that correct? Yeah, I just started my uh, MBA program with Pepperdine and was getting ready to go to the first week of classes. And I got uh, I, I got introduced to on a blind date to my to my soon to be wife, and uh, we were talking on the phone back and forth. She had just moved from San Francisco to Laguna, and that was about an hour's drive from from L.A. where I live. So uh, we were talking about how we would get together. And we finally worked it out on the Memorial Day Monday weekend. And I rode my motorcycle. Uh, by this time, I'd had a, I had a Harley and rode it down to Laguna because I hadn't gotten my ride in yet on the long weekend and uh, met her and didn't know that she didn't like motorcycles. So, uh, uh, but as I started stripping off all the leather gear and helmets and stuff, uh, she saw that my dog, her dog and, and me got along really well. So what kind of what dog? It was a standard poodle. Oh, okay. And so that's where we got. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's where we get all the standards. Okay. So, um, that ended up being, being, a, a door opening and we, uh, filled the rest with a, with a positive relationship that lasted 39 years. And you had, um, my cousin, one son and that's right. And, and when you had David, um, you told me that was really when, what you call the genealogy bug kind of kicked in. Tell me about that. Well, we were in Southern California and the rest of the family is back in the Midwest. And I was concerned that, that uh, David was going to grow up and not know his family. And so I started uh, looking around to see of ways to, to, to preserve information so that he would be a part of that. And I happened upon this website uh, called my family back in the late nineties and uh, started putting information in there. And all of a sudden that's when the genealogy bug bit me. I had no idea that I was even interested in that sort of thing. And come to find out that in my family, I am the only one interested in that sort of thing. <laughs> it's, 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 it's rare, yeah. uh, you know, and, and over time people, people, uh, family members would, would give me information, tell me stories about, you know, their lives and, and what had happened. And uh, this is how I was able to sort of piece together uh, where I came from, where we came from. And that was in itself a fascinating exercise. And I'm still learning. Uh, there are still still mysteries to uncover about our weird family. Yeah, I have some really close friends. One of them is is uh, my mentor, basically Brent's mentor too, by the name of Bill, a past guest of the show, who's a huge, huge genealogy guy. And uh, I can appreciate it from afar. And I bet you if I did what like, like you're describing, if I started to look into it more, I might get really into it. I just never have, but I remember it. Um, your sister, my aunt Sally's 70th birthday, you and I talked for a little while about, uh, kind of where the family came from and, and all that stuff. And it's just never something for whatever reason I've thought too much about, but it's always so, um, fascinating to hear. And then this has kind of led to, as you said, the Crispin family website and, um, all of those wonderful memories that are, are, are just there for people to see. Well, and it's, it wouldn't have happened to me. I don't think if I hadn't had a son or a child and really what sparked it was the need to, to pass on some information that I thought would be helpful and valuable in, in David's development. It didn't, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't dawn on me that I would be affected this way. It's kind of like, uh, the Romans, you know, they built all these roads, uh, in order to extract loot easily from their colonies and to provide troops to quell disturbances in their colonies. Uh, and yet all that remains today of the Roman empire are the roads. And mm. so mm. that's kind of what happened to me was I expected to share something that David would see valuable 
and I would be remain unaffected. Well, it's the other way around. I got affected, and David, you know, gee, Dad, that's nice. Not too interested in it. <laughs> okay, that was going to be my next question: is if it yeah. bit David at all? But no, not a bit. Not a no, bit. And I don't blame him for it. It's again, it's just something that you you get bit by or not. Yeah. Um. So you uh, nowadays tell us a little bit just you as I, I made mention because I, I try to every episode to make mention that my sister is not a doctor um, because I'm a jerk and uh, t- don't shake your head like that Brent that's not nice um, tell us just what you're doing now you are a doctor of, of education right I'm a doctor of business administration okay you got that wrong well uh, and and uh, you know, I teach uh, university courses in, in uh, graduate business, marketing, leadership, uh, basic, typical MBA courses, and do so for um, my university, uh, Columbia Southern University. I was also the provost there at one time before, you know, stepping back and wanting to come home and uh, and not live at the university. So that's afforded me this opportunity here in rural North Carolina. And you... Uh, showed me a video that you had made about why you teach. And you said something that I, um, that really struck, struck me. Tell me the main thing about one of the main, tell me a few reasons why you teach and kind of relay that, because I think it's a really wonderful viewpoint on the whole idea of teaching, because I, before I shut up, uh, I will opine that I do believe teachers continue to be heroes, um, and so to hear your perspective on teaching is something that I, uh, I really admire. Well, thanks. My, uh, my philosophy is to be the uh, guide on the side rather than the sage on the stage. And I want to be taught the way that I, was, that I wanted to be taught, not the way I was taught. Uh, traditional education teaches, teaches in a certain way. You don't know anything. Therefore, I am going to be the arbitrator arbiter of your knowledge, and so you'd better respect me, the knowledge deliverer, and so forth. Well, you know, I worked through all through college, and, uh, you know, you you had to go out there and, and strive and, and work hard in the real world. Why do you have to work around these false boundaries in the classroom? So I decided if I'm ever a teacher, that's not going to happen. And uh, by responding quickly, promptly to students uh, who are out there on the end of a of a internet tether uh, who sometimes are feeling kind of all alone because they don't know how they're going to get an assignment done. Uh, they deserve that sort of prompt response and, and empathy and guidance on how to get, get back on track as quickly as possible. So that's, that's where I, that's where I came from. Uh, and, and teaching in adult classrooms is ideal for that. So uh, I really, I really think I, I stumbled on something I really enjoy. And how long have you been doing that? Including the Often provost on. years. Um, off and on over 20 plus years, uh, I was also teaching while I was, uh, provost and a vice president of academic affairs as well. And, uh, teaching in classrooms, standing up proximate face to face and also online. So both have their merits and both are, are enjoyable in different ways. Yeah. Well, I, I just, uh, Guide on the side, not the sage on the stage. I, I love that. That's wonderful. Especially since my high school mascot were the sages. Oh. Uh, and uh, and I was on the stage a lot. And then <laughs> my dad would come to the plays that I was in. I see the connection. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, God, those seats, Kevin. I said, I know. I know. They're not great. I know. <laughs> you did a really good job in that Shakespeare play. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Well, listen, John, uh, as we're wrapping up, I, I want to say this. Uh, you, as somebody in our family with the genealogy bug, have always been somebody that I've looked up to as somebody who is trying to really keep the whole family tradition together. Uh, it's it's interesting to learn where that came from with you having a son. And um, I've always admired that. And every time that you and, and your siblings, including my dad, are together, it's just it seems to me as nothing but smiles uh, and, and good, good humor. Uh, and uh, it's something that I've always aspired to. Uh, my sister and I are very close. A lot of that I think has to come back to you guys. Um, and it's just a really wonderful thing. And to see where I came from and having even this discussion with you today, uh, has been a really moving 
thing for me. So I really appreciate you coming on. And as we're wrapping up, is there anything else that you wanted to say that maybe you, you didn't get a chance to say as, as we were discussing? No, other than, uh, you know, the way we interact with each other is in part a way to cope with, with, with loss and to celebrate achievement. So, uh, the, the main thing is just keep engaging with, uh, with your family and, uh, and, and keep giving as good as you get. And, and it, it should turn out to be okay. Uh, I think that is wonderful. And, uh, you're exactly right. Um, you know, as, as a little, as a younger man, uh, sometimes I'd be like, oh, well, you know, family, whatever, but no, that's, that's not the case for me, uh, at this time. And, you know, my family and, and, and my friends mean everything to me and, just even having conversations like this make, as you said, give as you give as you get. And um, so, John, I appreciate it very much you coming on and um, really, really appreciate it. And uh, I will go ahead and uh, close the show as I always try to uh, by just reminding everyone that there is always room for kindness and grace, no matter uh, the situation. And especially with yourself, I forget it every day but I try to be kind and graceful to myself and allow myself that grace. So there is always room for kindness and grace, and we will see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand join.